again, everybody, and welcome to episode three of the North American Soccer Show. We come to you this week at the end of the group stages of the MLS's back tournament, and we have got some big, big topics of conversation to, to hash out between us today. I'm your host, Dylan Baker, uh, and with me, as always, uh, are Chris Smith. Chris, how are you? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. And as always, Brady Reed. Brady, how's it going? I'm doing well, Dylan. We have so much big idea stuff to talk about this week that I almost think it's 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 prudent to to go ahead and kick into it rather than you know do some of the things that we usually do on this podcast and and try and start small before we get into games. With the group stages now finished, there have been some things uh, that have come out that that I know we all want to talk about uh, very specifically. And I, I can even though he's on mute, I can hear Chris chomping at the bit to speak about Atlanta United and Frank DeBoer. So. We're just going to go ahead and get right into it. Um, one nil loss to Columbus Crew. They lost one nil in all three matches. Even though it's a very very poor tournament for Atlanta, in that last match against Columbus, you have to say Columbus have done so well going forward in this tournament, and 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 Atlanta were able to hold them to just the singular goal. It was early on. But there's just no there's no fire in this side under Frank DeBoer. Um, structurally, organi- organizationally, they've got they've got what they need in order to hold teams to you know a, a low score line even prior to the MLS's back tournament. Um, you know they weren't getting blown out of the water back whenever the the regular season had originally started. But uh, due to the nature of his performances this year, it, it coupled with how Atlanta United didn't look like themselves over the course of last season. Atlanta have parted ways with Frank DeBoer uh, and will now take this time as the tournament ends and everybody's prepping for the kickoff of their MLS regular season to, to, to restart here in the next several weeks to search for their next manager. Um, Chris, Frank DeBoer is out. Was it the right time for him to go? Was there time that should have been made available to him to turn things around? Is there enough that you've seen over the course of the past 18 months uh, that just says no, this is the right move for Atlanta, and 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 there has to be some kind of change that happens before the regular season resumes, or it's just going to be more of this same dismal play. Uh, I definitely think it was the right time. I don't think there was anything that we've seen from Atlanta over the past 18 months to suggest that they would play any differently. Um, fans were spoiled a little bit under Tata Martino with the sort of electric, fast, sort of high testosterone style of play. Um, when Frank DeBoer came in, obviously, he switched systems to something that was going to dominate possession a lot more, be a lot more measured, a lot slower. I don't think fans ever took to it, to be quite honest, even when they won US Open Cup and Campione's Cup. Um, even when they sort of made a late surge and, and did finish higher in the East than many expected them to. I don't think fans ever took to it. MLS's back has been a complete and utter disaster for him. Sure, okay, they started the regular season okay. You can say Joseph Martinez is out. That's always going to be tough, but I think we've we've outlined enough. There were other problems. Um, yeah, they only conceded one goal in each game. Could have been a lot more. There was clear weaknesses on both sides of the back three. Um, Centre-backs not communicating with wing-backs. Midfielders not covering space. Uh, the lack of creativity was was stark. It was shocking. Um, 
So no, I, I don't think there is. A, even if Joseph Martinez comes back, you, you're looking at fine margins to get you through a season, and I don't think even he's got enough to single-handedly win MLS Cup for them come the end of the season. So I think it was definitely the right time to go. Well, and you have to you have to ask the question too. And Brady, I'll let you jump in here um, as well. You have to ask the question of the appointment of Frank DeBoer. I mean, uh, when when Atlanta came in. They got Tata Martino, and that was a coup. Nobody thought that there was any way that a manager of that kind of pedigree would make their way to the MLS. Uh, you know, and, and you see so many North American uh, head coaches and managers uh, across the league, and, and here comes Tata Martino with this highly anticipated Atlanta United side, um, and he just that team and that manager lit lit the league on fire. And when it was time for Tata to go. They bring in Frank DeBoer, who has failed at Crystal Palace, who has failed at Inter Milan, uh, does not play any any semblance of the same kind of tactics or style or fluidity that, that Tata Martino branded himself on, not only over the course of his career, but especially with Atlanta and the MLS. So you, you have to ask the question, what, what, other than the fact that he's a big name and he was available, there, there's hardly any rationale trying to bring in a guy like Frank DeBoer, who's understandably going to change the team around to his style of play. And that's not what made Atlanta United successful. So uh, I, I don't really understand why, why Atlanta fans have been put through the last 18 months of Atlanta United, but you'd have to hope that going forward, and I know it'll be a topic that we touch on, you have to hope that going forward, uh, they have to look back to what made them successful. Brady, uh, what are your thoughts on DeBoer being gone? You know what? I I think it I think it's a lesson learned for Atlanta. To be quite honest, I know last week we we touched on on kind of the the player recruitment differences between between the Galaxy and LAFC, and you know how LAFC have been a lot smarter about it, and and then they've elected to to pick pieces that fit and are not necessarily just names and not bringing people in on on name recognition. And but I think in DeBoer's case that that might have been what happened here, and and obviously it, it hasn't worked out for him. And, and like you said, I'm not sure we should be shocked considering how short of a tenure he had with Palace and, and with Inter as well. So there, there seem to be early signs in Cincinnati that that bringing in Jap Stam might have been a similar situation with the with the lopsided loss against Columbus. But uh, you know he seemed to to be figuring things out there, and and even with Terry Henry in Montreal, he's he's had some ups and downs. But you know I hope I hope that the rest of the MLS is paying attention to this and. You know when they're choosing managers, and even even with their DP signings, that not necessarily picking guys based on on their reputation or, or what they were or what they have been. So you know this is this is something Atlanta should take some time to consider and and bring in the right guy, not necessarily a guy that you know that's a household name per se. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Sort of the, the cornerstone that this Atlanta franchise is built on is. Sort of, it's not going for the big shiny name. It's it's picking the guy that's right for for your system, for your club, and your culture. When when DeBoer was first announced, I know it's easy to say now, but I'm sure a lot of Atlanta fans will join me in saying they had reservations. He had success at Ajax, and he was terrible at Inter, and he was terrible at Crystal Palace. And it only takes you to look at the last three appearances in this tournament. So you, you can pick out from from back to front faults in, in his entire approach. Um, I mentioned defensive organisation before, but 
the the Columbus game especially, like Darlington now be just absolutely run the show in midfield. Atlanta couldn't get near him. There's a gaping hole right in, in between the two central midfielders. The centre half have no one to pass to. Um, Pity Martinez just looked like he just didn't want to be there. So I think I think right at the start there were there were reservations. It was just the fact that you know this guy's got a lot of caps for for the Netherlands. He's he's a he's a big name. Um, I think I think the franchise definitely, like you say, Brady, have got something to learn. Um, don't get starstruck. Go for the guy that's right. Well, and to kind of to kind of hold with you here on that on that subject, uh, it, it, there is there has to be some consideration, like Brady said, of what the what the next move is. And you know that you know that Atlanta United are going to go over their history and and look at what made them successful and try and try and analyze what head coach is going to be able to re- at, at least replicate stylistically some of what made Atlanta United successful. So, uh, Chris, I'll start with you. What's the move forward for Atlanta United? They, if you have to look at you know really the last three or four years, um, do you do you have any thoughts on on what sort of direction they should be turning their head, or you know potentially have have somebody that you like that could be available um, uh, to head Atlanta United for the rest of the season? Uh, I think the first thing they've got to consider is the playing squad that they've got in front of them, and it's very South American. It's you got I think it's five Argentine players there, so straight away there's a massive South American influence, which would lead me to rather than go to a really regimented Dutch manager, which again was a mistake, would lead me to go to someone from South America who understands the culture around the club and, and can connect with his squad. Um, the name that jumps out, I know people are going to say Pochettino because he's not currently managing anyone. I think we all need to get a bit realistic and and just accept that's not going to happen. So to be fair, how 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 cool would that be? <laughs> oh yeah, it it would be a hell of a statement and it would be one incredible incredible appointment, but I think if we're getting real for a moment, I think we need to look elsewhere. My personal shout would be Marcelo Gallardo from River Plate. I've spoke about it online quite a bit and I I've, I've seen other Atlanta fans mention it. He's managed Pity Martinez before, which is a big plus. Um, managed him to South American Player of the Year, Copa Libertadores winner. He's won almost everything there is to win in South American football. He's an expert in cup situations, which in MLS could really work in Atlanta's favour. Um, they don't necessarily have to finish top of the league. They just get as high as you can and get into a good playoff spot and then and then allow Gallardo's tactics to sort of carry you through the playoffs. Um, he's more exciting. His teams are far more exciting to watch than than De Boer's teams ever have been. Um, I think it's a four-one-three-two that he plays. And I think once once Joseph Martinez is fit, and I think once all of Atlanta's squad is fully fit, I think that suits him far more than the than the sort of five at the back, which he gets pushed into at the moment. What they've been doing under De Boer. Yeah, I think I think like Chris said, I think you know Pochettino is you know he's linked with Barcelona and Real Madrid. I mean, I'm all for the growth of Major League Soccer, but I don't think he's quite at that point yet. I mean, he, he's just managed a Champions League final last year, so I'm gonna go ahead and and scratch his name off the list. I mean, if listen, if he gets appointed Atlanta fans, by all means, you can shove that in my face on Twitter. I'll take that for sure. But I, you know, I. 
I don't quite I don't quite know the Atlanta scene as well as Chris. I can concede that, but you know, I'm pretty familiar with Gilardo and I, I think there's definitely a fit there. So let, let's let's see what they do and, and and that would be that would be a name that's that's like he said, he's had some success but also makes sense stylistically and, and, and culturally. So yeah, I, I think I think I'd have to I'd have to back Chris on that one for sure. If he's able to get Atlanta United playing even 80% of the soccer that Tata Martino had them playing on their induction to the league, then that that would have to be a good appointment. Uh, moving on, Brady, I'm going to stick with you, and I want you to talk to me a little bit about uh, the Canadian teams. All three teams made it through after Vancouver and Montreal squeaked out a result in their final match of the group stages. The MLS is back tournament has been a fun cup competition to watch that has had that does have some impact on the regular season but really more than anything it represents a fitness building opportunity for for the MLS clubs after the shutdown taking that into consideration what does it mean to have a big canadian impact on the round of 16 going forward where all three clubs are through and you've got sides like the aforementioned Atlanta, uh, like the LA Galaxy are out of the competition after a, a very dismal outing um you know, Montreal and Vancouver have had up and down uh, seasons in the past over the course of the history of the MLS. Toronto really has emerged as uh, one of the big powerhouses uh, in the MLS. And now in this tournament, you've got all three of them through. So what does that mean to you from a Canadian soccer perspective? Do you see this as a big progressive step forward for for the Canadian sides? And, you know, especially for a guy like Thierry Henry trying to trying to turn impact around. Yeah, first of all, I think the biggest beneficiary of this is is going to be TSN and, and their TV ratings with all three teams, you know, still playing into the knockout stages. But yeah, I mean, kudos to kudos particularly to to Montreal and and to Vancouver. I mean, I, I think Toronto was always expected to to advance, and Montreal had a pretty tough group. So you know, to find a way at, at the buzzer there to to get past DC and pick up three points was was impressive and. You know, Vancouver, you know, the, they're in the round of 16, but it wasn't it wasn't the prettiest performance. But considering they've got, I mean, the, a plethora of attacking options that, that have elected to stay home back in Vancouver and, you know, Lucas Cavallini and and, and, and almost their entire starting front three. So, you know, they, they've squeaked in and even without Max Carpo and that they, they found a way to do it. Uh, I'm not sure that they'll be considered favorites, but. It's it's probably more than than Mark Dos Santos and, and definitely some of the Whitecaps faithful would have expected. But you know, in the case of, of Henri, honestly, I thought I thought their eleven for their for their third match was was him just playing his best players in, in their natural positions for the most part, and and surprising it, it worked. So you know, he he had he gave Zach Brogiard a, a shout on on right back, which is a young Canadian guy. I thought was chomping at the bit there and really showed what he could do earlier this year. So. You know, he he played the right positions or the right players, sorry, in the right positions, and, and naturally it paid off. So, you know, I think I think Montreal they've they've got a serious chance to 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 make some noise in the round of sixteen, and 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 Henri is clearly a manager who's learning on his feet. But yeah, no, I think it, I think it's great for for Canadian soccer, particularly with with every team having you know at least two or three local players uh, on the roster, and in some cases even starting and making a real difference. I want to stick with you briefly uh, to talk to me a, a, a little bit more in depth about about Vancouver. It, it, we, we knew we knew that if Toronto was going to come in and play 
Toronto football or Toronto soccer that they were going to find themselves through. It's funny that that doesn't necessarily apply to, uh, it's funny that that doesn't necessarily apply to all of the other big MLS teams. Um, as, as we said, and as we've discussed on this podcast previously, but with Vancouver, they, they, they really, really struggled to pull out results. And in this match against Chicago, Yuri Reyna and Christian Dijon spent uh, six minutes late on the match putting in both goals that, that ultimately saw them do just enough to get into the latter stages of this tournament. And it was it was a stark contrast to the soccer that we've seen them play in the first two rounds. So it, it, do you think that they've made enough of a step up to be competitive? Do you, you know, we'll get into some predictions, into some thoughts Um a little bit more in depth later on, but uh, do you see the Whitecaps as as developing into uh, at the very least a top table side in their conference, or do you, especially with the 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 way that they just squeaked through at the very end, do you see that result as more of a one off? And there's not much more history for them in this tournament. Yeah, I mean, full disclosure, uh, I was tuned into that match, and and they had the weather delay that, that went on for about forty five minutes, and. I dozed off at the cu- on the couch here, and, and I woke up, and it was two 0 Vancouver. And to be honest, I, I was <laughs> I was quite surprised by the way that that the, that the match had been going through the through the first roughly hour or so. But yeah, I mean, kudos to Mark Del Santos. He he made some changes with his lineup, and yeah, he brought the Canadian defender. He brought Derek Cornelius into center back, and brought some of his young Canadians in in Raposo and Theo Bear in up top, and. You know, I think to be quite honest, I think that they they just got more and more comfortable with the with the idea that you know they were they weren't going to outpossess the other team and and they were ne- not necessarily going to have the most chances in the game. But you know, if they were able to, you know, stick to stick to the tactics and and, and stay to their shape and 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 have patience and and be dangerous on the counter, I, I think the, the more and more that they they buy into that concept that they they're going to be able to upset some teams. You know, they're not going to play the football that we see from Toronto FC or maybe an LAFC. But once this tournament is over, assuming we can have some form of a regular season, they're going to get a, they're going to get a lot of reinforcements. So like I said, some of the guys who elected to, to not participate for different reasons. So they're a hard team to predict. Honestly, I, I, I'm very intrigued by them, especially with, with so many of, of the Canadian national team players involved in that program. So yeah, I think, I, I, I don't think we can count them out. Obviously of all the teams that advanced, they, they, they kind of did it at the buzzer but yeah no vancouver is a team that intrigues me and 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 is probably one whose whose projection for for the regular season is is as hard to to kind of to guess than than maybe any other Counterattacking soccer definitely has uh, definitely has a place in 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 being successful in the MLS. So I think you make a good point. If they if they can continue to develop that mentality, then then they they could very well have a way forward into 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 building their reputation and building their side into a into a match winning team. Uh, Chris, I'll switch over to you. I know I know you want to talk about Montreal a little bit. Uh, this match saw the the third change of, uh, of 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 tactics and third change of structure from Montreal in 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 as many matches over the course of the group stages of this tournament and it turned out to be successful um i i i want to put those in in scare quotes a little bit on the night as they as they squeaked through with a 1-0 win Thierry Henry is still you know we we've spoken about him on all three episodes now and I think one of the things that I, I took the most from this match was he he found a way to incorporate his width uh, that he wants to inject into this side 
um, just enough to stretch DC United's team um, and and create some space for them. It wasn't super successful in their first two matches of these these group stages, but uh, the amount of space that that Montreal's fullbacks had in that match uh, it, it allowed for a lot a lot to operate in the center of the park. It just didn't look like in that match that that everybody's totally on board yet, or everybody's totally figured out exactly what Henri wants them to do. You know, the point of having width is to, is to create gaps and spaces. And with as often as they switch play and, and, and play that long ball forward, the, the, the point of doing that uh, in a match is to, is to create, mismatches and create errors as the as the the opposition defense switches from one side of the pitch to the other and while they were able to complete that task you didn't see a lot of of support in the middle for when that long ball forward out wide was played so what really needs to happen here for Montreal to 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 continue developing under Henri whether it be in 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 the stages of this tournament or or pushing forward into the 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 continuation of the regular season again it it, it looked better but it's just still not quite there yet hey, well yeah i think it's important to remember that like as much as Montreal have had their own struggles over the past couple of years, so has Thierry Henry since he's stepped into management. Um, I think they're both very much sort of still trying to rediscover their own identities, and it seems like they're doing it together. Um, I think Henry's still trying to come up with his best formula. I do, I do think, and I, I know the, I know they beat DC, but I do think in the Toronto game as well. Okay, yeah, the I know they shipped quite, I know they shipped goals, but. They did look dangerous as well. Um, it, it was it wasn't a bad performance. They, they played well and they went toe to toe with one of the best sides in this league. And for for long spells, looked like they might have have got something out of it. When you look through the Montreal team, what does it's only when you actually look at it in front of you on paper or on a screen in front of you that you realise that there's some big players there and there's there's some real difference makers. You know, you've got. Victor Wanyama is obviously the, the latest sort of bigger name to come in and you're hoping that whether he plays as a ball-playing defender or sort of a, a screen midfielder, you're hoping that he can rediscover the form that he had at Southampton that, that got him his move to Tottenham. Um, he, he could definitely be a strong presence in the midfield, but you look at Tide has been been really reliable for them. If Bojan can hit his sort of his best form, he could be a real big player in MLS. Uh, they've got Aruti, they've got Kyoto. They've, they've got a nice blend there, I think, of experience, creativity, um, a bit of pace to go with it. So, to start, I'd say that the, among the favourites, of course, they're not. But, and at the risk of torching my already tenuous relationship with Orlando fans, given my Atlanta background, they have got a decent draw in the next round. Um, and it only takes that bit of momentum from actually winning that knockout game and getting through that. I feel like some of those players there could really get on a roll. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd have to agree, Chris, especially with regards to the TFC game. I mean, I I know ultimately Toronto got the result, but I, I would I would doubt how happy Greg Vanny was in the dressing room following that one. I think Henri's tactics, I, I think his players probably executed it better than than what Toronto FC did. To be fair, I mean, they they did an excellent job of of forcing Toronto FC's center backs to to try to play and, and skip over Michael Bradley and and Pozuelo and those guys who Toronto really want to get on the ball and, and that's how their offense thrives. So, and I think they got a lot of that, that a lot of that right again against DC. Like you said, it wasn't, it wasn't the prettiest match, but 
they got they've got just so many pieces and and names that they, they have to be able to find a way to, to to make it work and it's it's obviously a learning curve for Thierry Henry like you said this is not a new thing in in Montreal he's had his struggles at Monaco and and in general in his managerial career but yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I actually kind of like Montreal against Orlando. Uh, Orlando has surprised me, to be fair, in this tournament. But you know, they seem to be trending in the opposite direction of, of, of where they started. And and I guess we'll see what happens tonight with that one. But uh, I would I would fire from from count out the impact. I think, unlike Vancouver, that, that they, they probably deserved to be in the round of 16, really and truly. And, and uh, I think they've got a chance to to at least advance to the quarters. And, and 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 great points. You know, I think I, I think impact has become one of the more interesting uh, sides in this tournament because if you if you if you watch their if you watch their matches, there's clear progression. I think under Thierry Henry that that is showing promising signs. And you know, again, you you mentioned with the matchup with Orlando City and and them trending the opposite direction. If 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 Montreal improved enough tactically understanding what Henri wants them to do, getting on board with the system that he wants to put in place. And they can, they can take the same size step forward in that understanding, in that cohesion. Then you, you really could see them take an Orlando city side that have, that have not, not begun floundering per se, but they, they, they're not, they're not quite performing to the same level that they, that they started at. Um, and to, to transition into uh, you know another side that we brought up last week that's that's not been performing, uh, we've got to talk again about LA Galaxy. Um, a, a draw with Houston Dynamo saw them eliminate both themselves and Houston from contention, moving on to the round of sixteen. We spoke last week about Galaxy being on a decline and how how we can't beat around the bush anymore, and we have to say that that they they are declining and they have been for 18 months from being a a big MLS team. There are some bright spots in that side with the likes of Christian Pavon that they could build around going forward but there just doesn't look to be anything from the administration at the club that showcases their willingness willingness to do this. Um what has to be done to see Galaxy back at the top? Is it is it administrative? Is it management? Is it transfer strategy? Is it, you know, physically what what's being done on the pitch with the squad? Chris, I'll come to you first. Um, it seems like there's a there's a huge overhaul that's needed to to, you know, like like we said last week, to modernize the LA Galaxy and bring them back to back to their perch at the top because it is it's so strange not seeing them there. So Chris, talk to me. What's Galaxy got to do here? Any team that has got Christian Pavon as your star player, um, Javier Hernandez or Chicharito to come back in, Sebastian Legette, Sasha Kleshton in midfield, any team that has got players that good should not be pumping the amount of crosses that they are putting into the box on a game-to-game basis. Like 34 crosses against Houston, it was... Eight within the first 15 minutes, I think I saw a Matt Dial post on Twitter with none of them successful. Like, you've not got Zlatan Ibrahimovic up front anymore, so stop pumping balls into the box. That obviously falls on um, Shiloto in the in the dugout. He's He's got to change his tactics. He's got good players there. Pavon looked... <sighs> One minute he looked like a lost soul, and then the next minute he looked like the best player in MLS because... You could tell he was just so frustrated with what was going on around him, yet 
his own personal pride couldn't let his performance drop and he just kept trying to drag his team forward and it was it was just like hauling a dead weight. Um, the tactics definitely have to change and they have to change soon or I'd, I'd even go as far to say they might struggle to make the playoffs. Moving, uh, sort of going a bit wider than that, I do also think, as you mentioned, that there are changes that need to be made upstairs as well. Um we mentioned last week about LAFC sort of really pushing that youth development and bringing players through from South America and sort of building them and, and building them up rather than going for an established name. Uh, Atlanta had their success with that. We're, we're seeing other teams starting to follow that model. LA Galaxy just don't seem interested in it. And it took till late in the second half to get Efren Alvarez on the pitch, which I think from from what I've seen of him, he looks like one of the most exciting young players in MLS at the moment and a, a player who could really have changed the game a lot sooner for them against the Dynamo. Um, so I think if they're going to progress, yeah, they have to buy into that model and, and stop trying to be that Hollywood club sort of making the big signings and, and trying to sort of get bums on seats and just start winning games. Um that, that starts with recruitment, but then also, as I mentioned, goes down onto the pitch and into the dugout. Change your style, be attractive, be be hard be hard to defend against. At the moment, you, you're just pumping balls into the box against small strikers who are, who are poachers and, and not target men. Is Shilato the next manager to go? If the if the if the performances continue as they as they are, you mentioned tactically how they're continuing to play as if the ghost of Slatan Ibrahimovic is going to put in goals for them. And there has been no change. You, you saw them place fifth in the Western Conference last year, just barely making the playoffs um, and, and being one result or two away from being out of the playoffs. It was, it was, it was, it was tight last year and it's clearly gone very poorly this year. So you have to ask, considering the stature of what LA Galaxy is, considering the reputation that they maintain, he's had 18 months. Um, is, is Shilato potentially the next guy, uh, the next manager that, that you see going if results continue this way? Absolutely. Just as, as demands are clearly high in Atlanta, um, shown by the fact that DeBoer's gone. I'd say that they might even be the demands might be even bigger with the Galaxy considering the history. They've won MLS Cup five times. Uh, they they dominated a portion of this league like no one's ever done, uh, which is really hard to do in in a playoff system. Um, yeah, he's definitely under pressure because what, watching their games at the moment is painful. Um, it's not entertaining. It's laborious. It's predictable. So, and the fans. <laughs> Regardless of what team you support, you want to, you, you're tuning in or you're going to the stadium to be entertained. Sure, you want to win titles, but you can kind of forgive that a little bit if your team's playing amazing football and, and really fun to watch. And not only are they not winning titles at the moment, but they're one of the worst teams to watch in MLS at the moment. So, yeah, I don't want to get a guy fired and I don't, I don't, I don't want to push to get a guy fired or anything like that. But I would definitely say his job is going to be under serious pressure soon if, if things don't improve. Well, doesn't this feel, I mean, kind of eerily similar to the to the situation with with DeBoer and Atlanta? I mean, you look at last season, and and both Galaxy and, and Atlanta had you know Yosef Martinez and Ibrahimovic respectively. So they, they both they both had half of their team's goals, and so some of these underlying issues that are not 
they're not new problems that that have kind of risen in, in this tournament. They're things that have, have tra- traced back to last year, but you know, through injury and, and then with with Zlatan moving back to Italy, that they're, they're both without these number nines, and, and and these problems just become glaringly more obvious. And you know, in some ways, Pavon and PT Martinez are similar. When with Pavon, he, he, despite you know tactics and and the downfall of his teammates, he's still finding a way to have success and. You know, perhaps is is that what's saving saving his head coach in LA? Whereas with, with Petey Martinez, obviously his, his performance has not has not been up to par. So DeBoer really had nothing going for him. So, you know, I'd have to agree with Chris. I, I think Galaxy have got some significant changes to make. You know, post MLS is back if if they want to be a playoff team in 2020. I, I don't think Shisharito has had a had a fair shake yet to really show what he can do, but. I, I think it's a big ask to, to, to place place it on the shoulders of him to score 20, 25 goals to have this team claw into the Western Conference again. And, and for me, that would be more of a, a temporary fix than something long term. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's, he's, he's certainly under some pressure here. And, and like Chris said, I, I don't wish to see the guy out the door, but for, for me, it, it's, it's, it's very similar to, to what Atlanta has been going through. Well, and the only follow-up that I that I really have is, you know, a, a lot of what we've talked about has been sort of uh, management and administration, but also, you know, one of the things that made the LA Galaxy so good was was the the squad that they had built. And Chris, you mentioned a, a lot of big names that are in that squad, but one of the things that we have to talk about as well in terms of Galaxy's performance, especially last season, but it's also been very apparent in this MLS's back tournament, is that defensively they've just been abysmal they shipped 59 goals last year they had a negative one goal difference that's horrifyingly bad for a team like la galaxy who's who's known for being the dominant side in the mls so brady i'll stick with you based on your understanding of that la of that los angeles squad what do, what do they need to change? Is it just is it just tactically they need to they need to you know revise what their what their structure is and revise you know how they organize that defense? Or are you seeing some players that are in need of replacement or in uh, positions that are in need of strengthening? Yeah, I mean, I mean quite honestly, I I'm, I'm, was kind of trying to take a quick peek at their back four there. Just <laughs> there's, there's such a lack of uh, of big names at, at that end of the pitch, and it, it's kind of ironic how. Well, LAFC across town kind of get some flack for, you know, their own shortcomings at the back, but you know they 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 seem to have plenty of success despite that. So, you know, I, I admittedly I, I I don't know a ton about the center backs. I know that they're both relatively young players and, and they're both Americans, but you know they're going to continue to bring in these DP signings and 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 generally speaking, it's it's usually an attacking player and probably a striker. So, you know if if if, if you're not going to outscore teams four, three and then five, three, like, like Bob Bradley's crew are able to do, then, you know, perhaps you've got to look at, at doing some recruitment at the other end of the pitch. And so, yeah, like we've said, I mean, yes, they have Chicharito to add into the lineup, but you know, he only, he only kind of spends his time in one eighteen yard box. So, you know, maybe, maybe the issues kind of lie uh, at the back four rather than up top. The thing is as well against, against the dynamo, like, I go on about how poor they were, but let's face it, they, they wouldn't have gone 1-0 down if David Bingham had just took a step to one side and caught Quintero's free kick. Like, it wasn't well-placed. It was just, it was down the middle. He, 
he even lined his wall up wrong. Um, it's even going through the goalkeepers. Like, there's, there's so much passive defending going on there that like, if, if your team's not going to be great going forward, you, you better, you, they have to be strong defensively. Um, and they're so passive. Like Teams can just play through them, around them, over them, under them so easily. And then Bingham just, he's a he's an okay goalkeeper. He always strikes me as someone who's going to gonna make a big mistake at a moment's notice. So I, I think like a couple of struggling teams at the moment, I think the Galaxy have got some some problems from from back to front. Well, and as we're as we're beginning to run out of time here a little bit, let's move on to the round of sixteen. We've talked a lot about um, you know some of these sides that 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 shouldn't be there or or accidentally got there or snuck in at the very end. Uh, you know, over the last two weeks, we've 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 covered a lot of these teams that have very justifiably earned their place in the round of sixteen, and there there are some interesting matchups uh, that that we can look forward to over the course of the next four days. Uh, through July 28th, you've got uh, eight matches in the round of 16 starting tonight on Sunday, uh, which <laughs> if you're listening to this after Sunday, you'll have to, you'll have to tell us if any of our, if any, anything that we touch on for these two matches are, are, are more good or bad guesses. Um, but t- tonight we've got Orlando city taking on Montreal impact and we've got the Philadelphia union uh, going up against the new England revolution uh, on Monday. It's Toronto versus and NYC FC, and then uh, Sporting Kansas City against Vancouver. Tuesday is San Jose versus Real Salt Lake, a matchup that uh, ought to be quite exciting. And uh, Seattle against LAFC, the two big teams that have made it through out of the Western Conference. And finally on Wednesday, Columbus go up against Minnesota United and Portland take on FC Cincinnati, who shockingly are through to this round. Um Guys, Brady, I'll start with you. Um, what are some of the biggest matchups that we can look forward to, uh, or, or one of the what are you finding to be some of the more exciting matchups? Um, do you see any tough draws for teams? Um, do you see any any of these sides uh, or any of these matchups where there there ought to be a, a relatively clear winner? Um, well, what's what are you looking forward to over the course of the next few days? Well, of course, I'm going to go Toronto FC, NYC FC. Obviously, I've I've kind of got to focus on on, on Toronto and but, but but with this one, you know, this is a team or this is two teams, I should say that that have got some history in very recent past and they've already played this year. I, I was in the press box for that one back in March and TFC ultimately won one nil, but it, it was you know it was a great game. I I think that's it, it was kind of par for the course for a lot of what we've seen from New York. A lot of creative options out there and guys who've had success in this league, but you know, unable to find that finished product. So I'm interested to see what they bring in the round of 16. And, and that's typically a, a good fixture. Uh, obviously Seattle, LAFC reigning, reigning supporter shield champions, reigning MLS cup champions. I think that's gotta be, that's gotta be probably the best one, two punch of any of these round of 16 matches. And, and to be honest, uh, we, we mentioned Orlando Montreal earlier, that one's going to happen tonight. So, so by the time we get this one out, the listeners will, We'll know whether or not I was wrong here, but uh, I like Montreal and, and I like the matchup in general. It's it's two teams that that came in maybe not with with, with sky high expectations, but they've showed some moments and showed you know that that they could potentially push for the for the playoffs in the East and and, and yeah, that's one I'm going to keep an eye on. And, and I've been intrigued by the kind of the game to game changes from Terry Henry. It's been a big talking point for us, so. Yeah, he certainly has my attention, and and I like I like what he's trying to build there, and 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 I'll certainly be be tuning in for that one. 
And Chris, with your beloved Atlanta United out of the tournament, where is your attention going to be turned over the course of the next few days? Uh, I think Brady's obviously jumped in there and, and took Seattle Sounders against LAFC. That's that's obviously the tie of the round. And it's at 4 a.m. Um, UK time. You know I'm getting up for that because I, I, I'm not missing that one. Um, <laughs> and two, two that I really want to touch on the, the last uh, the last two to, to play um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how Columbus crew do because they look fantastic in, in the group stages they're a team I've I've talked about quite a lot recently uh, Zellerian uh, should be nice and rested up now after only coming off the bench against Atlanta um, I think it'll be interesting to see how Minnesota cope with Zellerian Zardis Pedro Santos without Icapara so that that's definitely an interesting matchup. Um, the other one, Portland Timbers against Cincinnati. Um, as you say, no one expected Cincinnati to be here, um, but maybe maybe we were all a little bit wrong about them. They they blunted Atlanta. They did the same thing to to Red Bulls. They, I, I watched that game and I couldn't believe how much pressure they soaked up. Like you're just thinking they are going to concede in a minute, but they just kept getting a body in the way. They made it so hard for Red Bulls to, to actually create a meaningful chance. Um, I think where it becomes interesting is twofold against Portland. One, because the Timbers are, from from what I've seen anyway, a team that prefer that prefer to soak up a bit more pressure than than give the pressure. They prefer to soak it up and then hit teams on the break. So they're not going to be able to do that against Cincinnati. So let's see how they change things up there. And the other thing is, I don't think Cincinnati have apart from against Columbus, where they got tore apart, I don't think they've come up against a team with the individual star quality in the creative third, um, as the Tims have got in the likes of Diego Valeri and Sebastian Blanco. So I think that'll, de- that, that'll definitely be interesting to see if Yapstam's really got this defence drilled down and and he can sort of pull off another shock result there. So I think they're definitely interesting ties to watch. Well, Chris, I, I'm so glad that you brought up Columbus because, you know, the disrespect on them in this tournament has has been ridiculous. And I'm sure their supporters would have been would have been coming at us on uh, on social media because I mean, they haven't conceded a goal. And, and, and then you see the the odds makers come out and they're not even in the top five as a favorite for this. Tournament. Oh, that tweet with LAFC having 21 percent and they didn't even make it into the I think the rest of it had like eight percent or nine percent for the teams that had been voted for. How how snubby was that? Yeah, and I mean, clearly, I'm 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 in the guilty party as well. I, I haven't even mentioned them as my as my three tasty matchups. So you know, I'm glad I'm, uh, I'm glad Chris caught that, and you know, they haven't conceded a goal, and they've they've probably looked the, the best team so far. I'm not sure that they're necessarily the uh, the favorites. Well, according to the bookmakers, they're certainly not. But I mean, yeah, I mean to rule to rule them out even against Toronto FC and LAFC would would obviously be you know, a big mistake. And especially like we, we've touched on the, you know, the addition of, of Darlington Nagby and, and how huge that's been. I think even, you know, despite the the disrespect that's been put on their name, they're still very, very serious contenders for this tournament. Well, that's the thing as well. I think you have to remember that you've got Seattle Sounders and LAFC going against each other. So one of them's going out straight away, um, which immediately takes a huge team and a really tough team to play against out of the equation. For, for me, from from the sheer level of games I watch in, in the group stages, Columbus seem like the only ones without a flaw at the moment. They're defensively solid, really, really dominant in midfield and exciting going forward. So 
I, I, I'm going to stick my neck out and say they're my personal favourite to win it. I think they've, they're the best equipped at the moment, um, especially with one of Seattle or LFC going out so early. Big claims by Chris, but honestly, I think I'd have to agree with you again. The big thing you mentioned there is that they look like the only side without a flaw. You know, even even with some of these teams that have come in and performed at high levels, your your Toronto's uh, Seattle started really showcasing their potential in this tournament uh, in the in the latter stages. Um, you know, LAFC. Orlando City who have who have put together you know the the best runs in this tournament thus far Columbus is the only one that just that just they they don't look like anybody can beat them right now uh and that's that's showcased by the fact that they've they've not they've literally not conceded a goal in this tournament which is not only shocking for uh, a group stage but also it's shocking for the MLS where there's goals everywhere all the time <laughs> So just one last thing I want you guys to touch on. Over the course of the last three episodes, we've talked about some big-name players, uh, your Diego Rossi's, your Christian Pavons, um, your Giassi Zardes, uh, Darlington Nagby. Who do you think is 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 going to be the the biggest actor, um, the, the, the biggest player in these um in these final rounds as we get to as we head towards the final who do you think is is it going to be somebody who makes a name for themselves is it going to be somebody that we've already seen strong performances from that's going to continue chris i'll come to you first who's who's who do you think your player of the tournament's going to be i mean play, player of the tournament for me is probably um if lafc get past seattle it's, it's probably going to be diego rossi let's be honest i think if you're looking for a player maybe that no one's talking about to to watch for and, and see how they do in the in the knockout rounds. I'm gonna go with Brendan Aronson from Philadelphia Union. Um, we've we've seen over the past sort of year or so that he's a he's a fantastic creative midfielder, really talented. Nothing much seems to fluster him whenever he gets the ball. He seems to sort of turn out of pressure really easily. He can split a defense, and obviously you may have seen reports recently linking him with a, a move to Europe. Either to Germany or to Celtic, so and I, I think those those links are well deserved. So, if we're trying to take a big step away from the obvious, like sort of big hitters so far, I think he's a guy that you definitely need to look out for. Yeah, I like that. I like that airs and shout a lot for a guy who's not necessarily the biggest name, and and it seems like somebody who's you know whose time in MLS might be kind of kind of coming to a close if if he can continue on this trajectory. But, uh, I'll go with the opposite side of the bracket just just to keep things interesting. I I, I like Alejandro Pozuelo to make a huge splash for TFC. I I think they're going to make a real run at this, and and if that's the case, then they're going to have to be some have somebody who's who's a, a consistent difference maker. And Pozuelo can be that guy. I mean, we've seen him already contribute to five goals. You know, setting up five assists and. You know, Akinola has five goals, but, you know, if, if Altidore, you know, he seems to be healthy, he, he got a couple minutes at the end of the group stage. So, you know, if he if he can be fit and, and, and get a and get on the field and get a couple goals, then it's hard to pick one of the two of them to to be that guy, even though they're probably going to be the one, you know, finishing. So I'll, I'll take Pozuelo. He's the guy who pulls the strings for TFC. I think they've got a deep run in them. And, and if they're going to have success, it's going to be it's going to be due to their, their number 10. All right, folks, we are going to go ahead and wrap up. Um, Chris, uh, let everybody know where we can find you uh, on Twitter and what you're planning on working on this upcoming week. Um, We know you're going to have some late nights. Uh, I'm sure you're very excited. (laughs) Yeah, I can't wait to to lose out on all that sleep again. (laughs) Um, Find me on Twitter at CJSmith91. 
my plan this week, as you touched on there, stay up late, cover games, because they're all late for the UK, which is just fantastic. Hoping to maybe see what happens with the Atlanta situation. Let's see what see what names come out. Um, it's, quite, it's quite tempting to put together something on Gallardo, but let's just uh, let's hold our horses for now. And Brady, what are you going to find yourself into this week? As always, you can you can kind of find everything I've got going on with with World Football Index and beyond on Twitter at uh, Brady Reed underscore. Uh, with regards to match coverage and, and what kind of specific stuff I'll be be diving into, uh, as I've said before, I've kind of got a Canadian kind of focused um, viewpoint on the MLS. So you know, with the three with the three Canadian teams all advancing, there'd be no shortage of of match coverage. So yeah, keep an eye out for that, and, and I'm certainly looking forward for for the games to to keep meaning more and more as this tournament goes on. And I've been your host, Dylan Baker. You can find me on Twitter at DLN underscore BKR. This has been your third episode of the North American Soccer Show, and we will see you next week.